This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey guys, Merry Christmas. Welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm your host, Robbie Lashua. I'm here with my amazing, jolly, festive oh. co-host. Oh, wow. That was good. Thank you. Tyler Hurley. What's up, man? What is up? We are super excited for this episode today. We're going to be focusing on the real Jesus because yes. the past few episodes, we've talked about counterfeit Jesus. So you guys got to yeah. know your stuff. You got to know your stuff. And we want to talk about the real Jesus because this is a couple days before Christmas. It is. And guess what? We're celebrating the real Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So specifically, we want to talk about the virgin birth today, why it's important, and the theology behind why the virgin birth is important. Yeah, and this is going to be a little bit different, too, than what we've done in years past, because you guys might have known we've done Christmas-type theme episodes for the past two years. This one's a little bit different, so you're going to want to make sure you stick around for this, because we got a lot of cool stuff that we're going to unpack here. Yep, definitely. Well, hey, before we get into talking about the virgin birth and the soul and all of these things, Tyler, you have a coffee tip for us today, a Christmas coffee tip. Yes, this is why I'm feeling jolly today, Robbie. <laughs> I have a Christmas coffee tip for everyone. So this is very interesting. It's, it's going to be a Christmas coffee recipe that okay. I'm doing here. Uh, so this is the recipe. In a traditional coffee maker, the 12 cup kind, you should add these ingredients along with your freshly ground coffee beans. Don't get pre-ground Ugh. coffee no, please beans. don't no, do no, that. No, no, no. Why, why are you drinking that if you're doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, yeah. get a grinder, get fresh With, beans. Uh, don't be lazy. Yes. You want it to be good, do the work. It's yep, worth it, right. I promise. <clears throat> it's not even that much work. You just press a button and it blends it takes it up, an extra right? 10 seconds. I know, yeah. yeah. So that's what you got to do. You got to take these ingredients along with your freshly ground coffee beans. Mm-hmm. You're going to put in a fourth teaspoon of cloves. Okay. Half teaspoon of cinnamon, and yeah. then one tablespoon of brown sugar. Oh, interesting. Yep. That sounds good. Now you do that, and that makes the coffee taste very festive and Christmassy because you got that, you know, you got that brown sugar sweetness and the cinnamon and the cloves. Like it all just blends well together. Yeah. I haven't tried this before, but mm. I'm I'm interested. So it, it sounds, sounds really good. Yeah. It sounds. I want to try that. So you just brew it all together. Yeah, put it in with your grounds, mix it up together, and then brew it, and it'll come out huh. this uh, Christmas cup of coffee. Dude, that sounds great. I'm yeah. going to try that sometime this week. I might try it too, Yeah, actually. that sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. That's a good tip. Well, yeah, if you're so out and about go. and you don't want to pay $6 for a Starbucks that has that kind of stuff in it, you could probably make that for about, I don't know, 10 cents. So that's a good that's a good way to do it, man. That's pretty cheap. Yeah, so cheap. there you go. That's a coffee tip for today. It's a recipe to make a Christmas cup of coffee. That's awesome. Well, hey, yeah. let's get into the topic of the virgin birth. Um, I'm hoping that people are listening. Now, again, we are releasing this a day early. That's this right. This is coming yeah. out. We usually put them up on Thursdays. But this one, as you know, if you're listening today, mm-hmm. is uh, coming out on Wednesday, the 23rd, because we figured you're probably going to be pretty busy the 24th. Yeah. And if yeah. you got some last minute shopping to do on the 23rd, you could... Yeah, turn this on on your on your iPhone and your uh, your MP3 whatever. Yeah, know, just listen to it in the car while you're yeah. driving around. Let's yeah, very yep. easy to do. So so that's, here yeah yeah. So here we go. This is our early Christmas gift to you guys. Yeah, free of charge by the <laughs> yeah. way. <laughs> well, hey, um, speaking free of charge. As we get into this, I do want to mention to everybody that we are now on yeah. Patreon um, because we are looking to expand and to do a lot more with this. And so if you wanted to support us, uh, you don't have to. Obviously 
Obviously, everything we have is free. But if you would like to support us because you found some benefit to this podcast, this ministry, uh, you can go ahead to go to patreon.com slash Coffee and become a Patreon. Become a, a contributor to what we're doing. We have different tiers and different um, uh, gifts that we give to people in different tiers, coffee mugs That's and right, t-shirts yeah. and stickers and all these things. So go check it out on Patreon. If you want to click in the show notes, it'll be there. It's on all our social media and stuff, but would love for you to do that. And hey, huge shout out to all the people who already have supported us on Patreon. We are so yeah, thankful thank you for so you much. and for all that you're doing to support what's going on here. Okay, with that said, on to the topic. Let's keep going. We got this. All right, so as most of you know, the virgin birth of Jesus is a really huge topic this time of year because it's a huge part of the Christmas story. Yeah, yeah. Isaiah 714 prophesied about the Messiah being born of a virgin, and Luke 126 through 38, and also the account in Matthew, speaks of Mary being a virgin. Uh, I want to read to you this these couple of verses from Luke chapter 1. These are verses 34 through through 35. It says, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So again, that's right. Mary is really confused about, wait, you said I'm going to have a baby, but I'm a virgin. How can that happen? And this verse explicitly says that the Holy Spirit, the, the overshadowing of the Most High is going to come upon you and procreate this kid in you miraculously. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not so, just any, any common birth here. <laughs> no, no. This yeah. is crazy. And she knows how yeah. things work because she asks, wait, I, you have to have sex before you can have a baby. That's how this works. And this is a unique situation. So a lot of people think this is just, you know, folklore or this is um, wishful thinking or it's a copy of pagan myths. There's all these things about it. But as Christians, we should ask the question, why the virgin birth? Why was this? Is it necessary? Was this just a miracle to show Jesus was somebody of importance? Why the virgin birth? So today we're going to talk about the virgin birth of Jesus, specifically in regards to how human souls are created. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about human souls, right? Human beings are made up of two parts of body and soul, material and immaterial. And how are human souls created? Because we know how human bodies are created. Yeah, that's the question. It's how is, how is that immaterial part of us created? Where yes. does that come from? Is it is it direct through God in that moment that we're mm-hmm. being physically created, that he implants our soul? Or mm-hmm. is it, are we created with our soul at conception? How does this work? Yeah. Like That's the question. How do we get that immaterial part of us? And there's a couple of, there, there's two Christian views to this. Uh, in Christian history and with verses and scripture references that back it up. And so we want to look at these two different theologies in regards to the human soul. So the first view is what's called creationism. Now, don't mix this up with, you know, young earth creationism, old earth creationism. Yes. This isn't about the origins of the universe or how God created things in the beginning. Yeah, this is creationism in regard to the soul. Yeah, That's what this we're talking is just about. about the soul and specifically transmission of the soul. How do we each get a soul? Mm -hmm. So creationism teaches that the human soul is specifically created by God and then sent into the body of a person somewhere between the time of conception and the time of birth. Yeah, and with that, we have some scripture references that we wanted to share with you guys for this view. Um, A lot of people who uh, believe in creationism when it comes to the soul, they point to Psalm 139, 13 through 14, where Mm -hmm. it says, 
For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So see, like that yeah. knitted me in my mother's yeah, womb. Yeah, God made me. He put yeah, me there. Yeah. yeah. That's the idea here. Now, just full disclosure... I am not a proponent of creationism. No, and I'm not either. Yeah, uh, I thought about, I spent a lot of time thinking about this too. And uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't see it. But you do have to wrestle with these verses, okay? Yeah, so yeah. what is Psalm 139 saying? Well, a couple of things. Um, the Psalms are poetic. That's literally what they are, yeah, right? They are. They're poems. They're mm-hmm. songs. So the Psalm is poetic, and I am always a little bit hesitant to develop a theology solely based on a poet poetic verse on something from Psalm. Yeah, yeah. not to say it's not true, but we got to ask in the genre with the imagery, what is it communicating? Right. Well, yeah. We know two things about this. Number one, God didn't literally knit David together physically. Of course. Yeah. There were no knitting needles in his mother's uterus. Yeah, I'm and pretty they, sure. And you know I'm what? Pro, I'm pretty sure. And most people who read that, they, they understand that. Yeah. They know it's not like that. But, they, but They'll say for, for yeah. the physical, this is allegory. Of course, yeah. Well, then why isn't it allegory for the spiritual? That's a great question. It is a great question. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a big deal. So we know this didn't happen physically, but David is communicating this idea that God knows him intimately. He goes on in this passage to talk about how um, all the days of his life were written, like God knows them. Prior to this, he's talking about where can I hide from you? Where can I go from you from where your presence isn't? The idea is that God knows him intimately. Um, And so I don't think that this verse is what we should hang an entire doctrine on, which, and and again, there's a couple Mm -hmm. other verses, but this is like the main one people say, see, there it is. God creates the human soul of every individual and places it in them. Well, this verse doesn't even say that. True, right? It so say, you yeah. you have to you have to embellish a little bit, yeah. Um, but I do think we can answer it as it is. It's pushing the idea that God intimately knows all of us, of course. And, and now there's other passages out there though that they would point to that there are people yes. with this view point to, and one of them is uh, Zechariah twelve one, where it says, "The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel." Thus declares the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. So see that? Uh, it says, forms the spirit of man within him. So you would mean? bring that up, Tyler. Forms is in it. It's <laughs> happening. Yeah, that, right? Yeah. Well, what does it say? It's such a challenge. It says, forms the spirit of man within him. There it is, Tyler. That's it. Case closed. We're wrong, Robbie. We need to retract our, Hold our on. opinion. Oh. No retraction yet. Let me explain why I don't think it means Let's that. hear it. Okay. A <laughs> couple of things. If we take this verse literally then um, we have to believe God is still stretching out the heavens, which I got no problem with that. Sure. Because we know the universe is still expanding. Yeah, yeah. So God could still be stretching out the heavens. Um, we'd have to, then we'd also want to believe that he's still forming the spirit of men w- within them, within people. Mm-hmm. But the one that's hard for me is we'd have to believe that he's still laying the foundation of the earth. Yeah, you would have to assume that that's figurative. Yeah, so, well, because, yeah, we don't think he's laying the foundation of the earth. Yeah. There's kind of evidence against that. It's kind of been laid and it's there. But at the very least, maybe he's saying spiritually. But yeah. then in that case, that would prove that the other two things are happening either figuratively or spiritually. So, yeah, it's kind of a tough one because you'd have to take t- one literal, one not literal, one literal. 
Yeah, and and you tend to find that uh, authors don't usually write that way. Yep. Well, so, this is, and again, if you go back into the Hebrew, it's interesting mm-hmm. because this verse is meant to show the power of God by listing stuff that he has already done. Yeah, yeah. And so the ESV, actually, when they translate it, I think they translate this more accurately with the, with the sense of what it means. They translate this, this passage in Zechariah saying, Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens... And founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Mm-hmm. Past tense. Because that is the emphasis of the passage. It's past tense yeah, things so that it, he it already, already happened. did. Yeah. Right. And so if he formed the spirit of man within him, well, we know he did that in Adam. Yeah. So that could be a reference to, to Adam. Adam. Yeah. Not to each individual. And so I don't think Zechariah 12.1 brings us any trouble. Yeah, okay. Well, then what about Ecclesiastes 12, 7? Oh, we're gonna, we We're going to talk about this one. Uh, this verse states, The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, Because you is. could see, yeah, it, like the components that are in there, it's saying that God gave us the Spirit, and it's returning to Him. Yep. So how do, how do we reconcile with that? Well, it doesn't say God gave each person an individual spirit. Right? It says God gave it. The Spirit returns to God who gave it. Who gave it, the Spirit. It, it's interesting because the it mm. is singular. It's not plural. That's true. Who gave them spirits? It's it. That would have been more. That would have made a lot more sense if that's what they were trying to say. Exactly. So yeah. I think what this is referring to is it's the initial spirit or the initial soul that God first breathed into Adam. So there's no claim in this verse that God is imparting mm. a soul to each and every person at conception or birth. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And so uh, what's interesting, I, I would even say that when you look at this, uh, creation, uh, creationism in this sense seems to kind of make God the author of evil. Sure. Is what happens. Because uh, many scriptures tell us about God's goodness, holiness, righteousness, and love. Uh, many tell us that God cannot lie and no deceit is found in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the account of creation, everything that God makes, he declares is very good, right? Every time he makes something, very good. It's good. Very it's good. good. It's yeah, good. Good, it's good, very good. Very good. good. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so the scriptures also tell us that there is no evil in God. Mm. So the question we need to ask ourselves with this idea of creationism is how could a good and loving God create a corrupt and sinful soul? Well, because we know that we're corrupt, not just physically, but our soul's corrupt. We're sinners. We're sinful. So if God's the one Mm -hmm. making it, he can't make it bad. So you either Mm -hmm. have to say he's lying to us and he can make something bad and evil. Which that would make God evil. Yeah, which would take away responsibility from me being evil. It would. Which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Or we have to say that he doesn't create it evil. Mm, okay, yeah. so then where would we go from that position? Yeah, well, it's interesting because, yeah, we have to, like you said, we have to believe that um, or that God creates a pure soul in each person that is later corrupted. And so this idea is hard to reconcile when you see passages uh, like Romans 5.12, which states that Adam's sin death, like sin in death, had spread to all mankind. Yeah. It was Adam's, yeah. Adam's sin that made uh, death, death and sin spread. spread. Us, yeah. So yeah. So can God? So would God make a pure human soul, place it in fetus Tyler Hurley? Yeah. Right. <laughs> then the question becomes: What corrupts the good soul? 
Yeah, so how can sin be transferred from all mankind if God, who only creates things good, is the creator of each individual soul? Because yeah, essentially what's happening is is God's continuously – Adam was the first good soul then is what you would have to yeah. believe. Yeah, and it was perfect. It was good. Which, and, which and we Eve believe too. that. We believe that. Eve too when she was created. Of course, yeah. she's per- They're perfect. Yeah, yeah, and we would believe that. But oh, the, yeah. the problem is, is if you're going with this creationism view, you have to believe that God is creating evil souls. Yeah. Regularly. Evil souls or he's creating pure souls that he places in a human fetus that exactly. get corrupted somehow. Yeah. So that's the issue. That's what yeah. we, what the biggest problem is with this. So yeah. you have to reconcile with that. Yeah. It mm-hmm. seems kind of silly. And so the creationist view, it is a, um, it's a view within Christianity that a lot of people would think, well, of course God creates every soul. And right. it's like, oh, I don't know if he does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's scripture actually to, to propose the opposite view, which is the traducianism view, which we want to talk about now. Yeah. So traducianism, again, not a popular term. You're not going to hear a lot of pastors preaching on this on yeah, Sundays. Right. Yeah. But it's really important for us theologically, especially when it comes to the virgin birth of Jesus. Um, traducianism comes from the Latin term traducianus, uh, from the word tradux, which means to... Uh, transmit or inheritance, all right? Yeah. So it's the idea of how the soul was transmitted or inherited. Uh, traducianism claims that human beings have the ability to create human bodies and they also have the ability to create human souls in procreation. So when a man and a woman are having intercourse and creating a baby, the physical human being is created as well as the immaterial spiritual human being. Yeah. It's a one-time thing. And so we want to go through why we believe this from uh, a bunch of different scripture support. Mm, Yeah. So to start off with that, we know Genesis 2-7 records the account of the creation of Adam. Mm -hmm. Uh, God creates Adam from the dust of the ground and then breathes into him the breath of life, right? Yes. And it it is then stated that Adam became a living, and I I'm, I'm, think I'm going to say this right, nefesh. Is that nefesh, correct? Nefesh. That's the Hebrew yeah, word. Nefesh, living nefesh. Which yep. means being or soul. So yep. so that's Human when soul, yep. Adam became a living being or soul, nefesh. So, so we've got formed from the dust, mm-hmm. which is the material. Yes. And then God breath, which is the spirit, the immaterial, the yes. soul. So that's when the soul was created. That's when God gave the soul mm-hmm. to Adam. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, Genesis two twenty one through twenty three records the matter in, the manner in which Eve was created. Obviously, oh, okay. so so this is fascinating. Yeah, this is yeah. great. This is great. It states that God caused a deep sleep to come over Adam, mm-hmm. after which God took one of Adam's ribs and made Eve. Adam then exclaims. This is at last the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting, the importance of this is that Eve did not have the breath of life breathed into her. Do you guys notice that? Yeah, it doesn't say that in the scripture that God breathed the breath of life into this woman he fashioned. Exactly. It doesn't. And so... So does that mean women don't have souls, Tyler? I wouldn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you'll get in trouble with the wife. Careful now. Of course not. Of course women have souls. That's crazy. Of course they do. Sometimes I think my wife has more of a soul than I do. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I'd agree with that. Yeah, so... (laughs) In regards to you. Sure, sure. Yeah, there we go. There we go. But no, that's that's true. So, So Eve has a soul, but God didn't breathe it into her. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so that's that's what's interesting. Uh, it wasn't necessary 
since she was taken out of Adam, who already had the breath of the breath of life, okay. which is a soul, right? So it, it would seem that Eve's soul just derived out of Adam, just as her physical body was. Mm. So which, because God took a rib from Adam, maybe He also took soul part from Adam. Yeah, of course. And, and you know what? Like when you look at this, it makes mm. sense that that has to be what happened. Because He doesn't. Why? Why wouldn't? The uh, why wouldn't he, it have said that God then breathed the breath of life into Eve? Yeah, because well, he didn't. And, and if she didn't have, of course, Eve had a soul. Oh, she did. But yeah, if she yeah. didn't, she wouldn't be a human being. No, she would be. Uh, I mean, an animal type thing. Yeah, she'd be a physical being without any material. So of course, she had a soul because mm-hmm. that's what she is. She's a human. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in First Corinthians, I'm going to share another passage. First Corinthians eleven eight says, "For man was not made from woman, but woman from man." Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of supports our idea. The biblical evidence proposes the idea that Eve was made from Adam in her entirety, mm-hmm. which includes both body and soul. So it, it's not just purely a physical being. Yeah. Eve was created spiritually from Adam too, yeah. like, like by by her soul. She. Got her soul from Adam. Yeah, I think yeah. that that's I think that that's true, and I think that that's what we can deduce from these scriptures. And well, in it the just Bible. makes sense. Yeah, it does. There's also uh, other reasons to to talk about. Okay, how is the soul transmitted? So it seems like right. Adam's or Eve's soul was transmitted to her through Adam. <clears throat> but what is if if you go back to Genesis one, you remember how um, God keeps creating you know fish, birds, and animals and insects and all these things. Yeah, and He keeps saying, "Be fruitful and multiply after your own kind, after your own kind, after your own kind." Mm-hmm. Right. So in Genesis one twenty eight, it says to human beings, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth." So in this verse, God is blessing Adam and Eve with the power to reproduce human beings. The first blessing is to have sex and procreate. Yeah, right. that's right. Right in the very first chapter. So again, it's significant that in all these previous verses, God tells the animals to procreate after their kind. Mm. um, And it talks about how they were created after their own kind, except for Adam and Eve. When God created Adam and Eve, they were created after the image and likeness of God. Right? Yeah, of course. That's what it specifically says. We're created in his image and likeness. So because of this, think about it. Because of this, it's very logical to think that Adam and Eve could procreate after their kind. If if a fish can procreate after its kind, if a buffalo can procreate after its kind, of course, yeah. wouldn't you conclude human beings can procreate after their kind? And in fact, yeah. that's what we see happen. I've never. My wife has been pregnant right. four times, and every time she's given birth to a human being, there wasn't a giraffe that came out of there. No aardvarks. <laughs> right. Not a, not any amphibious animals. Yeah, they're always human beings. Why? Because we procreate after our own kind, right? Yeah. So it, I guess too, in this way, you would have to conclude that God's like constantly creating souls and like other components in other creatures. Which, which then, yeah, like I mean, you would have to because that's what that's what it logically yeah. concludes. Because yeah. animals have a type of soul; they have a type of immaterial part, a yeah. decision-making yeah. will, and an instinct and things. So, yeah, if if God is creating these individual human souls, why wouldn't He be creating individual dog souls or uh, you know? That's what you would have to conclude. Souls. Yeah, mm-hmm. you would, but it doesn't seem like that because He says you have the power to procreate after your own kind, after your own kind, which would include the physical and the immaterial. So I think that human beings have that power 
to procreate after our own kind, which includes the physical and the soul, the immaterial. In fact, Genesis 5.3 says this, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So this verse clearly states that Seth was created in the likeness of his dad, Adam, which would include both a body and a soul. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not created in its likeness. Yeah. You're that's, different from that's it. That's absolutely right. And then even taking this a step further, we even get the concept from Genesis 2, two, two where it says, By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And so, right. uh, so to kind of uh, provide some support and context to this passage, uh, Wayne Grudem uh, actually has a, I have a quote here that he spoke on for this passage in particular, Okay, where he said, from this verse, it can be assumed that God is still resting from creating. The way in which God seems to usually work is through secondary, uh, causations in that he brings about his purposes through human agency. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, that's a big belief that God rests. He, he's still at yeah. rest. He's not creating more of the universe. Well, yeah, because yeah. we didn't have a follow-up after that. Yeah. So that's but that's he set thing things. We were... He set things in motion. Oh, of course, of course, so that they continue. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, however, we don't believe that God's deistic, right? Like he didn't just set everything in motion and like withdraw himself. Yeah. So the like, d- deism, and just in case mm-hmm. anybody doesn't know, deism is a belief that there was a God who created things, and he he wound up the clock, but then he took off because he doesn't care. Yeah. So like, we don't like believe a clock that. Maker. Yeah. That's the idea. We that do they believe get. he wound up the clock. We of do course, believe he yeah. started everything, but we don't think he took off. We yeah. Think we think there's still, involvement. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And so uh, God didn't. We don't believe in, that in the deistic God. We don't believe in that. Uh, God is also sustaining creation. That's what we really hold to. Mm -hmm. And so a miracle by definition, I want to cover this. A miracle by definition is a supernatural event that brings about God's purpose in a manner that is not the normal by laws by which the universe usually functions. And this is why miracles are significant because they are not common. Mm -hmm. So in the area of miracles, we can see that creation, uh, his creation while allowing secondary agency to function is clearly seen throughout the biblical account in miracles. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. God is involved in our world even though he's primarily set it up to function in a system. Exactly, yeah. And it's operating and it's running, but he's involved because the Bible tells us that Jesus sustains all things and holds them together. Yes. But then also a miracle is when God interjects into the system and disrupts it or um, suspends the laws of nature in a specific place. Yeah, time. yeah. And so you see That's that what there's a clear is. direct involvement. Mm-hmm. He's not gone. He's still involved. Exactly. Yep. Yep. However, the normal way things operate is in this system that he set up. Of course, yeah. yeah. And, that's, and that's what we're saying with the procreation is that the typical way he does it is he gets the ball rolling and then he lets it um, flow out of that. And is that what's happening with the human soul? Well, what would have to be happening it, by the creationist idea is if God is intentionally intervening and in, like creating the soul every time, mm-hmm. then essentially like when God intervenes, we call that a miracle because it's outside the norm. Yeah. So God would be literally creating a miracle every time that yeah. someone is. <laughs> someone so or that? some animal or a squirrel or. So, so you see, God doesn't act this way with miracles. And like yeah. when he intervenes, it's yeah. only for specific purposes that are outside the norm. Yep. So why would our souls be cre- like considered miracles or in that same pattern 
when it's technically like happening as an as a norm. Yeah. Right. Yep. I yeah. agree. I think that yeah. The, the big idea is that human beings have the power to procreate human beings exactly. physically and spiritually. That that is what we're doing because we're creating people in our image likeness. God's resting from creation. It makes it makes sense spiritually. It does. But now the big verse that that most traditionists will point to and saying, here's where it's at. Here we go. Comes from Hebrews seven verses nine through ten, and this is what they say. One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham because he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Mm-hmm. Okay, what in the world is going on here? This is like all these terms and confusion and loins being talked yeah, about. Right. Okay, what is happening here? Yeah. So this is referring back to a story in Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 24, when Abraham is um, um, meets up with the king of Jerusalem, the king of Salem, uh, and his name is Melchizedek. Yeah. And he's a priest of God, and Abram gives a tithe to this priest of God. The writer of Hebrews is pointing out that Levi, who the Levitical priesthood came from later on in history, because the Levites were the priest class, the priest tribe of Israel, he's pointing out that Jesus is a superior priest to the Levites because Jesus isn't from the Levitical priesthood. He is Mm -hmm. according to the Melchizedekian priesthood, which is superior by the fact that Abram gave a tithe to Melchizedek, therefore Levi, who was in the loins of Abram, gave a tithe to Melchizedek. So he's trying to point out that the Melchizedekian priesthood is superior to the Levitical. But he makes this weird statement mm. that Levi himself paid a tithe to Melchizedek because he was in the loins of his ancestor Abraham. What does that mean? <laughs> That is a weird, I mean, that's weird, right? Okay, so what we can deduce from this scripture. So Levi is, um, let let me remember. Okay, so Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes. So Abram is Levi's great-grandpa. Yeah. Right? Because Jacob would be his dad. Isaac would be his grandpa. Abram would be his great-grandpa. So it's saying that Levi was in the loins of his great grandpa mm. when he gave this tithe. The scripture shows that descendants are somehow present in the bodies of their ancestors in previous generations. Yeah, that's what it would imply. That's what that's mm-hmm. what that's the whole argument's based on that. The other thing about this argument in Hebrews 7 is that it doesn't make an impact if it's only talking about physically Levi was there in some way in the f- previous generations, um, because I think it's also talking about his soul was back then, not him personally. He wasn't created yet, yeah. but it was going to be transmitted to him because you have your will and volition in the decision making to pay a tithe. Right. Mm. So it's a weird passage for sure, but it's claiming that Levi was in the loins of his great grandpa when he paid a tithe. How is that possible unless the spirit or the soul of a human being is transmitted to each generation yeah. from the previous, from the, the father? 
It's crazy. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense it to does. me. And it also makes sense that um, we can create a procreate according to our own kind. It also makes sense that we can procreate according to our image and likeness. Mm-hmm. It also makes sense that if I'm made in the image and likeness of God and he could create in his image and likeness, I probably could too in, in some sense. Yeah. And that's why my kids look like me. But unfortunately, that's also why they act like me. Right, because there's the immaterial yeah, yeah. part to them. So there's That's a right. whole bunch that comes with this idea of transmission of the soul. The parents create the soul when they create the physical body. Yeah, there's so much uh, that this implies. I mean, we even see things that it disproves too, like these. Uh, yeah, if this is true. Ideas. There's some really important things that we can counteract apologetically. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, for example, we talked about this earlier too in past episode. It disproves the LDS belief. Of uh, pre-existence of Mormons, uh, like of people's souls. Like, yeah, Mormons, Mormons believe, believe that souls pre-exist. Yeah, in, in eternity. That they, that has, so they the were first, created what before. They, what do they call it? The first estate. The first. Uh, I'm not it's sure. To be honest like with you, yeah. yeah, I think I know what you're getting at, but I don't, I'm not remembering the I term. I think they it's use. called the first estate. Is what they call yeah, that. I think that you're all right. All souls were created way back, and then they're placed in bodies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, but if that, this is true, if this is true theologically, then that's not. Accurate. So, yep. um, and, and then it also disproves the belief in reincarnation, which that's mm-hmm. there's tons of belief systems that that falls under. Because you have to believe that there's souls existing that die in a human body and then come back in a different body. Yeah, we don't believe that souls no. are pre-existing; they're created when the body is created. Right, right. Uh, and then all, this also adds weight to certain issues too, like uh, like premarital sex, because mm. then in that case, if you're you got to think like, hey, wait a second, if I'm having if we're having sex here. And we're potentially creating an eternal soul. That's that's a really big deal. <laughs> yeah, that's a really big deal. I I one yeah. time I gave a um a sex talk to the high school group I was the youth pastor at. Oh, and it was yeah. on this, and that was my main point: is you really should think about having premarital sex. I wouldn't do it because it's against the Bible, and there's a lot of other reasons not to. But one of the reasons is because you could potentially be creating a soul that will last for eternity, either in heaven or hell, and that's a huge responsibility on you. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's like, it whoa, is, it yeah, is, wait, yeah. wait, what am I doing? And again, hopefully just creating a kid when we don't think that deep about it should be. Well, yeah. But sometimes you got to spell it out for teenagers. Well, you do. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. And that's just a, the fact. So and with that, too, you even see it um, uh, like today, like we're focusing on the importance of this regarding to the virgin birth. But also I wanted to point out one more thing is when it comes to abortion, mm. even this would also imply that life begins at conception. Uh, yeah, the like soul. the yeah. soul does. The yeah. soul begins at conception because if we see scientific evidence, and we've talked about this through apologetics and like past episodes, that human human being is a person at the moment of conception. Yeah. So if that's the case, it in these theological implications would conclude that the soul is created at conception as well, and you can't kill it. Whereas if you believe in creationism, mm-hmm. you have to ask the question, when does God put the soul into a human being? Yeah, exactly. And does he do it in the first trimester, at conception, in the second trimester, in the third trimester? Or up until birth. Because you could believe, thing. you could be a creationist and believe that it's not a person. That the fetus yes. isn't a person because God hasn't placed a soul in them yet. That's the, that's the big issue with this. Yeah. And, and we obviously know, like, through this, like, like that, that's just not the case. Like, a human being is a person yeah. at the moment of conception, and so and so that's that's just uh, one of the bigger kind of things that this counter argues against. Yeah. What if? Okay. Now let, yeah, I just yeah, thought of this. It. Okay. So what if 
we say we believe in the creationist view, but God doesn't impart the soul into the baby until birth, then do preemies not have a soul? <laughs> do you see like do you see all the yeah, crazy implications yeah. from it? You have they say, to say no, they're born. They're, That's it. Yeah. yeah, well. You, when, oh, you know when they magically leave the womb, what, all of a do sudden. C sections count? I mean it gets it gets yeah. weird. What if they're what if they're only twenty four weeks, right? You get yeah. into that stuff where I think that from the from the pro life argument that Christians always make is that they're a human being from the moment of conception, mm-hmm. which means that the soul is part of the body at the moment of yeah. conception, which lends itself more, I think, to the traditionism view. Yeah, and I think that the hopefully, like for the Christians who maybe have this idea of creationism, or those of you listening, think about that really. Like, if you were pro life and you believe that the unborn is a human being at the moment of conception, you got to be consistent. Yeah, and believe that also the soul is there because otherwise yep. it's not a really a human being. So yep. now you could believe that God yeah. places the soul into the body at the moment of conception. Sure. But you still got all these other problems of how does that soul get corrupted? Exactly. Good. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, so. there's a lot of other issues. But still, so. we just wanted to point that out because it, it's good. a very big theological implication. Yeah. There's a lot that comes from this. It's, it does sound kind of like a crazy idea, but then yeah. you start thinking about it. You're like, Oh man, yeah. What I believe on this actually matters. It does. Yeah. It really does. And so, and then we're going to turn this back around now to uh, the Virgin birth, right? Yes. Uh, so the virgin birth potentially protects Christ's sinlessness. Now, it is if, huge, if yeah. you believe in this idea. Now, Robbie, if you want to elaborate more on that, it's yeah. really interesting. So, yeah. okay, so the Christian doctrine, the Christian belief is that Jesus was a perfect human being. Right. He was sinless. We don't think he was some kind of a phantom or a ghost. We think he had a real human body. He had a real human soul. And he was 100% God, right? That's called the hypostatic union. That's who God is. That's who Jesus was. 100% God, 100% man, right? But he was a man. Right. Yeah. So the question becomes, how does Jesus come into the existence of human beings and actually become a human being and submit to being a human being the way the rest of us have have existed and not have sin? Mm. I think that traditionism helps us with this. So when you think about how we've all inherited sin from Adam, how it's infected all of us, how death has spread to all men, uh, Adam is the reason that we physically and spiritually are infected with sin. Our body and our soul is messed up. Depravity, right? Yeah. So because all human beings were present in the seed of Adam, like Levi was present in Abraham. Right. Okay, just like that, we were all present in Adam at the time of the fall, and so we inherited sin as Adam procreated more kids after the fall. So according to this view, all human beings aren't just like legally guilty. It's not like he was our representative and he screwed it up for us. Yeah. But we were somewhat present in him, culpable in him for this sin, participated with him in the sin, like Levi participated with Abram in giving the tithe. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So that that makes some sense that we're 
guilty that we are infected right from the get-go. Um, I want to read to you two verses from Romans 5. And you should read Romans 5. I think it's uh, verse 12 through like 21 because it talks about this second Adam thesis, how we have inherited mm. sin and death through the first Adam. But then Jesus, the second Adam, came along and his death can atone for our sin and yeah. give grace and eternal life. It's a really cool passage. But I just want to read two verses out of it, uh, Romans 5.12 and Romans 5.15. Verse 12 says, Therefore... Just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death spread through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay? Yeah. So death came through one man and spread to all people because all had sinned. Verse 15 of Romans 5 says, For if by the transgression of the one the many died— much more did the grace of God and the gift by the mercy of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. But you see that by the one transgression, many died. Yeah. And then yeah. it's saying much more by this act of righteousness can the many be made alive, can the many be saved, right? This is awesome. What I think is crazy about this verse is that it says Adam is responsible for sin entering into the world, not Eve. Yeah, yeah. It was through Adam that sin entered the world. It was through Adam that death spread to all people. Yeah, well, that's all Not over through scripture. Eve. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. but it's weird because Eve was the first one to sin, wasn't she? Wasn't she the one who ate from that's the fruit? That's what happened. And then Adam ate after her. Mm-hmm. So why is it through Adam? And I think that when you go back and you do a careful reading of the first three chapters of the Bible, mm-hmm. the reason is because God gave the command to Adam before he even created Eve. Yeah. God didn't give the command to Eve. I'm not saying she was allowed to eat from it, but the responsibility mm. was on Adam, and he completely failed. Yeah. So sin enters through Adam, not through Eve. Death spread to all through Adam. So here is an idea I have, and I know some other theologians who believe this, and um, I wouldn't die for this necessarily, but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it makes sense. You ready? Let's hear it. Let's okay. go. I think that sin is transmitted in our species through the males. If death spread to us through Adam, how does it continue to transmit through our species? I don't think it's transmitted from females. I think it's transmitted from males, which means that if any of us have a dad, which we all do, We've been infected because that's where sin is transmitted. Yeah. Physically, I think, and spiritually, I think. So all of us have sin. It's not passed on from the mom, although all of our moms have sin because they had dads. Mm -hmm. It's passed on from the dad. So every person who has a physical dad, which is everybody except Jesus, has sin transmitted to them. And I think that that is what Romans 5.12 is teaching, that this is how death and sin are spread. So Jesus' virgin birth is necessary in order for Jesus not to inherit sin nature from a human father. It's not just some cute idea or fun mythological story. It is a necessity for him to be born without getting infected with transmitted or inherited sin. Yes, yes. So this allowed Jesus to be born in a state of innocence like Adam and Eve were born in a state of innocence. That he mm-hmm. he had the ability not to give in to sin. He he wasn't born into it. He wasn't infected with it from well, the get go. Yeah, and another another idea that like this 
theology implies that I just thought of is that it, you would also have to realize that Jesus had to be born of a virgin because he wasn't created. Mm-hmm. So, so if, if uh, Joseph and Mary had sex to conceive Jesus, then he would be a created His being. His soul would have been created. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it ha- he had to come through a virgin because he's not a created being. He, pre- he did pre-exist his earthly he did. existence. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. So you would have to think about that. Like he had, he pre-existed because he's God. So he couldn't have been created. Therefore, yeah. he, like he wasn't conceived. Yeah, that's he, why he had to come as a virgin. So, and that's what Philippians talks about: how he yeah. he took on flesh. He didn't lose anything. Yeah. He added something, which is interesting. So I think that this is important for the virgin birth thing. I don't think it's just a folklore story. I think it's necessity that he was born of a virgin in order to be able to be sinless. And yeah. that's why he's the second Adam, because he literally is in the same right. state Adam was, mm-hmm. and Adam screwed it up. But yeah. Jesus came and he fulfilled it and didn't screw mm-hmm. it up. So when we're under Jesus and when we believe in him, we're under his seed. We yes. inherited what he did. Yeah, and that's, that's the it. whole point, man, is we yeah. need a new heredity. Mm-hmm. I need a new lineage. And if I and that's why Tyler, this is fascinating. That's why Jesus says you have to be born again. Yes. Exactly. Because in our first birth, we were infected. But through being born again, we can have his lineage, his righteousness, his perfection, his sacrifice cleanse us. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. It, it, again, I, I think it's just fascinating, all the theological implications it's, it's, of There's this. so much to this. Yeah, it's, it's great. really beautiful. Well, well, the more you think about it and go through scripture and see this, the more it makes sense It to does. Me. It yeah. makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And so uh, not only does the Isaiah 7.14 passage prophesy specifically, prophecy specifically mention the virgin birth, but the oldest prophecy about the coming Messiah alludes to it as well. Yeah. And people miss this a lot. Yeah. This is really cool. People really do. And so I, I'm going to read that prophecy. It's from uh, Genesis 3, 14 and 15. Wait a second. You're saying the oldest prophecy about the Messiah comes from Genesis 3? Yes. Yes. Okay. And now, now this is talked about a lot, but not not in this context. So okay. Let's see here. what you got. Yeah. So it says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, now notice, Okay. first thing, notice that this curse on the serpent promises that there will be enmity between the serpent and the woman, but between the serpent's seed and her seed, the woman's seed. So, okay. so it's saying seed singular. Yeah, seed and seed, not seeds. Not seeds. Plural. Yeah. So, what does that mean? Uh, seed is singular, not plural. Uh, this is speaking of a specific seed to come mm. from the woman, right? So, not just her descendants or no. her ancestors. Well, why doesn't it say between the man? Like, exactly. Why is it specific about the? Is going to be enmity between the woman and you? That's the question, why not right? The man and you. Oh, so maybe this is the gotcha passage, right? It yeah. breaks down our theology. See, clearly, sin is passed on from the woman, right? Like seat of whatever, it not passed on from the man. So that's the question. When we talk about procreation, seed usually refers to what the man contributes. So this passage yeah. is weird. So, but this is weird. Yeah, the true seed usually you say like a man contributes a seed or spills his seed. I think even yeah. the Bible talks about that in other places. It does. But the woman mm-hmm. provides the egg, right? Yeah. And the man right. provides the fertilization. Yeah. When so we're talking physical seed, that's yeah. how we talk about it. It is exactly. Yeah, but what what is a woman's seed? That's the question. Exactly. Yeah. So so but the truth is. 
Jesus did not come through the line of man, but he was a seed of woman, mm. right? And that's what we just talked about. Yeah, he didn't come through man. He, he came didn't. from a woman. He was from Mary. Mm-hmm. So, so that was from Only. the woman. Only Mary. Yeah. So, so he was. This was God prophesying, saying, "My uh, like the seed of the woman mm. is going to come to you and destroy you." Essentially, yeah. that's what's happening. Yeah. So. This is huge. And it, it, so there's I, a prophecy of the virgin birth. Yeah. In it, Genesis 3.15. It is. And this supports this theological concept, right? Mm-hmm. That he had to be sinless, right? By coming from the woman, yeah. which is her seed. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. So, so this is all kind of tying in together, if you guys can see this. It's so important to note that because Jesus did not come through the line of man, but he came through the woman's seed. You could even say that Jesus is the only human being ever that could be called the seed of woman. He is. If what we yeah. mean by that is not man. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the only seed of woman without man. The only right? one who came from a woman, yeah. C- came exclusively Exclusively from a woman. is yeah. what I mean, yeah. So that is fascinating. And again, a lot of people see this as talking about Jesus, but you can also see this as implying virgin birth. Yeah, that's so right. So it's not like this is some made-up thing later in time. It seems like from the very beginning when Moses wrote these words down that this was the promise of yeah. what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting too. You see it creation, a woman came exclusively from a man, but then yep. now through Jesus, a man came exclusively through a woman. It's yeah. very interesting. So And he's the second Adam. And he is. She came from the first Adam, second Adam came from her. Yeah. It's so There's fascinating. So much there. It is. It's yeah. it's cool. And so with all of that, what we want you to see, and again, I hope this was kind of new to you. Yeah. Um, this yeah. is not your typical Christmas episode no it's not yeah like <laughs> usually we talk about like prophecy and stuff sure. like that about around christmas time but, but this is important this is important we to need talk to about this. why why is the virgin birth necessary um and so that's where like as a christian if you're like oh that virgin birth thing i don't know about it it's kind of needed in order for jesus to be who he was yeah it really it's is. needed for him to be the second adam who was born in a state of innocence who didn't have to give in to sin but live perfectly yes and that's that's what the virgin birth is all about and he did that in order to redeem us so he is a human being because he he comes from a human being yeah of course but he's not in the same sinful uh state or infected with the same sin nature as we are Mm, so i hope this has been encouraging to you and a new slant on the virgin birth stuff at christmas yeah i hope you've been driving around extra thinking about other gifts you can buy because you wanted to listen to this whole episode i don't know yeah but share with your friends let people know about this traducianism is a fascinating topic to study and if you want more info about it any systematic theology book you can get your hands on will talk about this. This isn't a new concept. This has been no, around in yeah, Christian circles for thousands of years. Yeah, you, Many you would people, think it's a new concept because this isn't talked about it's a not, lot. No. So, so you would think we just pulled this out of our like, like out just of our what? Tyler. Yeah, our, <laughs> no, our butts. No, there, there it is. Go. I said it. No, I'm <laughs> yeah, but so it's not. Go, yeah. It's it's yeah. it's it's an old idea. And it's been around a very long time, but Mm -hmm. we hope it's encouraging to you. We hope it makes you think differently about humanity. We hope it makes you more in awe of God for the, the, the amazing capability he gave us to procreate human bodies and human souls. 
and that we would take that responsibility seriously and that we'd see the virgin birth mm. in a new light. But hey, listen, again, if yeah. you um, liked this episode, please go rate us on iTunes or uh, Apple Podcast. Yeah. Uh, review us on there. Write us a note. If you have any questions about any of the things we've said or about uh, topics you'd like to know more about, shoot us an email or an instant message or a direct message or any of those things on all of our social media. We'd love to answer your questions. We love interacting with people out there. And hopefully we can get to a lot of these questions that people have asked us. Yes. Lastly, if you would like to support us, if you found benefit from this ministry, you can support us on Patreon forward, uh, patreon.com forward slash Christ Culture Coffee. Yeah, that's yep. right. We'd love for you to go do that. And then there's some perks and there's some extra stuff you yeah, can find. Yeah, and you want there. an easy way to get to it too. You could go to our Instagram profile. Uh, we have a link in our uh, bio. So if you want to yep. go there, that's a really easy way to access it. That way you don't have to type in the link individually. Yep. Uh, so please do that. And you could also check out the link at in general because there's some cool stuff that we're uh, offering to those who are supporters like uh, these new stone mugs oh, that we're very wait. excited about. Yeah, they're so sweet. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so you definitely want to get one of those. They're super cool. So uh, please, if you are in a place where you can support us, we would greatly appreciate that. It would help really this ministry would. go further. So yep. thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode in Christ Culture and Coffee. We will see you guys next yep. week. Have a Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.